You're listening to the Gateway Christian Church Beckley Campus Podcast. To find out more about the church, visit our website at gatewaychurch.net. Let's get into this week's message. I know you might have been expecting Russ. There we go. Wow. Uh, we fired Russ. Russ is, uh, no, Russ, is, Russ has got the opportunity today to preach at uh, St. Albans campus. So that's where Russ is. And I'm taking the opportunity to come here. Uh, I try to get around to each of the four campuses at some point in a, in a three to four month period. So love coming here. What a great uh, location, great place to, to worship. And I don't know if this is, I haven't been here, so I don't know if this is your first Sunday back or if you've, if you've been back. But thank you for, for being here today. And thank you for coming in person and uh, worshiping with us. I know there are a lot of folks who are still waiting to get their vaccine or they're waiting for things to uh, go back to normal. And we have word for them, don't we? Because things aren't going back to normal. So this is a new normal, I feel like. And, um, and so, but we welcome everyone back, and it's great to be here. My name's Dave, Dave Stauffer. I got my wife with me this morning, and uh, we're, we're just glad to be here. She typically is playing the keyboard at our St. Albans campus, but uh, we got her off the hook on that today. So thanks, Taylor and Karen. Didn't they do a great job? They're so awesome, and uh, we love hearing them. Uh, is, this, is this sound okay for you? Because it's kind of a barrel to me. It kind of sounds a little bit like a barrel, and my sound guy just walked out for another cup of coffee, so that's okay. Great coffee this morning, too. That's Haitian coffee, and if you'd like to help support our, our ministry, our mission to Haiti, we have a great Haiti mission. If you get on our website, gatewaychurch.net, you can find one of our locations is Haiti, and you can find that um, uh, lots of good stuff there. We just got back from a trip in January, and I uh, hope to go again in July. So you can support the mission by buying the coffee. Buy the coffee, and uh, and you can also just su- support, sponsor a child. We have 250 students over there. You might have seen the video uh, a couple weeks ago, and if you'll go online and look at the video, you'll see Russ did some physical work while we were over there. And I know that'll make you feel good. He did a great job. It was a, it was a great trip. So uh, check that out if you if you will. I don't know uh, if you've been following along with us, but we are in a new series called Good News. And boy, we could use some good news, couldn't we? We've we've had a year plus of bad news, and it seems like bad news is runs faster than good news. You know, bad news gets around fast, and it's spread. Uh, spreads quickly. And so there's a lot of bad news. You don't have to dig too deep to get bad news. You can look as as uh, far back as yesterday. Did you guys see uh, or hear about that plane that took off, the United Airlines flight that took off from Denver headed to Hawaii, and the engine went out on that? Wouldn't that be awful? And uh, amazing technology on those things today that came back around and landed, and so everybody was was okay. There were a couple people on my Twitter feed that were on the flight, which was amazing, and uh, they were praising the Lord that, you know, it wasn't bad news. It reminds me of another story that happened many years ago. The story is told about a little uh, a twin-engine plane that was taking off in a uh, European country, getting ready to leave. It was very early in the morning, very early, and uh, there was bad weather out there. 
And just before takeoff, this man runs out onto the runway, and he stops the plane, and he, they open the door. This is a small plane. He gets on board, only about 20 passengers, and he, he talks to the pilot in a heated exchange. The people couldn't hear what he was saying, but uh, they knew it was a heated exchange. And uh, finally, he comes back to the, to the people, and I have this uh, down, and he comes back to them, and he says, ladies and gentlemen, I've flown this plane. I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Walter Beach. I'm the man who designed the aircraft. I know what it can and what it cannot do, and I don't think it's wise for you to be on this plane and flying this morning, and I would urge you to disembark. The pilot, on the other hand, he said, ladies and gentlemen, I've been flying this plane and planes like this for many, many years. Now, the first guy designed the plane. Did I say that? He said, I designed the plane. The second guy said, I've been flying this plane for many, many years. I know what it can and cannot do, and I urge you to stay on. We're going to be fine. And only one person got off of that plane at the warning of the designer of the plane, a lady. Her name was Eleanor Roosevelt. That plane took off, and indeed it did crash, and everyone on board was killed. And Eleanor Roosevelt survived because she listened to the designer instead of the pilot. Now, you know, this is, this is a great story. It's been told about Eleanor Roosevelt, and it illustrates what I'm going to talk about today, that there are times in our life where we might want to listen to what's going on around us or to smart people who think they know, but really what we ought to do is listen to the one who designed our lives, right? And uh, designed uh, the things in our lives. The, the designer, capital D. So this good news series is about how the gospel, that's the good news, how the good news affects our life. What does it do for us? Are we any different than people who don't believe the good news? Are we any different? Does our life look any differently? And that's kind of what this series is about. You know, we've got a lot of bad news. The good news is, the story of Jesus impacts your life. It changes things for you. And last week, we looked at how we could define the gospel. Now, we, we have an introductory thing that we shared last week. The good news does really three things for us. It has the power to transform us. That's what Paul said in Romans 1.16. I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God into salvation. It is able to change us, to do something for us. We said last week, you could sum up the, the gospel in one word. I grew up in church camp singing that song, love, 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 love. The gospel in a word is love. And when you really think about it, all of life boils down to this, to love. The love of God and the love in my life and how it is expressed to the people around me. Some people haven't let the gospel seek into their life, but they say they have. Some people are wearing the name Christian, or they say, oh, yeah, I believe, you know, I'm a member of the church, or I'm a Christian, but they don't live like it, do they? You can look at their life and say, your life, your language, your behavior, your lifestyle doesn't look anything like what a Christian ought to look like. You know, this is really the issue we have today. We are so, um, you know, our our culture has 
gotten into us so much that people who are believers, their lives don't look a whole lot different than people who aren't believers. And so what the gospel says is uh, that you, that how you live is what you believe. How you live is what you believe. So you might say you believe the gospel or you believe the Bible or you believe God's word is true, but we're going to know that if that's in your lifestyle. You hear what I'm saying? If you live this, then we'll know you believe this. It's like going out here and getting in your car. And, uh, you know, if you, you can say that uh, seatbelts save lives, but if you don't wear it, you don't really believe that they save lives. And there are a lot of other examples. So today we're going we're gonna to talk about another, uh, you know, uh, a, a big topic in our life. We're going to talk about our relationships. We're going to talk about how the gospel, last week it was the gospel for our life, the good news for our life and how we can be more loving people, and how we can love, and why we should love. Today, we're going we're gonna to talk about your relationship. We're going to talk about marriage. Marriage. Now, you might be sitting here thinking, wait a minute, Dave, I'm not married. Or, Dave, you know, I'm now I'm divorced. Maybe you're in your second marriage or your third marriage. Look, I'm not going to talk about divorce. I'm not going to talk about the past. I'm going to talk about today uh, where you are right now, and how the good news, how the gospel transforms your marriage. And if you're not married, your relationships, because this principle works. Isn't that amazing? The big principles will work in big things, and they also work in other things, in small things. So I want to I remind you of two truths here as we talk about this, all right? How the gospel, how the good news impacts your marriage. I want to tell you two things. Number one, God designed marriage. God designed marriage. You believe that? It's his idea wasn't a government thing. No king, no leader came up with this idea. You know, if, you, if we had left it up to them, there would have been a lots of different uh, uh, pictures of marriage and what it should look like. And again, if you're not married, uh, this applies, the principles of marriage apply in your relationships, in your friendships, in your dating relationships. And uh, chances are, if you're not married, you might be uh, one day, you know, it reminds me of the guy who, a young single guy, good looking guy in the church. And every time there was a wedding at their church, the older ladies would, uh, would come up to Bruce. His name was Bruce. And they'd pat him on the back and say, don't worry, Bruce, you'll be next. You'll be next. And Bruce got tired of this. And so he came up with an idea they one day had a funeral at the church and Bruce went up to the old ladies and said, don't worry, you'll be next. And they stopped. They stopped teasing him about being single. You know, God designed marriage. It's his idea. We've tried to redefine it, haven't we? It, it culturally, our society would like to redefine it, put some other, uh, move the boundaries but they can call it whatever they want to, but if it was God's idea, then it has to be God's plan. It has to be God's plan. And I don't know if you're new here. Again, we don't know each other a whole lot because I'm not here a lot. But just so you know, uh, Gateway, we believe in the biblical model of marriage, which includes one man and one woman. And we believe that it's God's principles at work. Now, I know there are a lot of churches caving in to the pressure of the culture and the pressure of, of, uh, of some kind of a liberal theology, but uh, we're not. And so that's, that's our view, and we believe 
The second thing, that if you disregard his counsel on marriage, you do so at your own peril. You do so at your own peril. Well, we were all heartbroken uh, this week. I don't know if you know the name Ravi Zacharias. You know Ravi Zacharias, a great apologist. He was a, a giant, a spiritual giant in the faith. Uh, he, he, he defended the faith. You can, you can go online or on YouTube and put his name in, and I don't know now what you would get, but before uh, last week, you would get lots of videos where he is promoting and defending the Christian faith and doing it in front of big, big crowds with uh, big atheists and lots of people. And uh, he was a spiritual giant until last week in our eyes. And last week it came out, uh, he's dead now. He died uh, you know, last month, I think. But it came out that he had, uh, he had uh, been, he'd been accused and obviously guilty of rape and uh, he owned massage parlors where things happened that shouldn't have happened, and uh, there, there were lots of uh, problems in his life. And you know, the man didn't repent. He did not repent. You can repent of any sin, but he didn't repent, not even on his deathbed. And you just wonder, big question is, what about him? And so we're not the judge. God is the judge. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. So again, this is every person's battle, and when we lose the battle, we turn around, we repent, and we say we're going, we're going in the right direction. And that's the glory and the, and the good news about grace. How many of you love grace? We all need it, don't we? We all need grace. We really do. So today, just for a little bit, I only have got, uh, you know, now, I've only got really one thing to say about how the good news transforms your marriage. But there's a lot of scripture. So I don't know if you have a Bible, you want to take it out. It'll be on the screen here. It's from the book of 1 Peter. If you turn to 1 Peter, or you can just follow along on the screen, that's where we're going to be today. There are several places in the New Testament where you can learn about how the good news, how the gospel affects your marriage. And one of them is 1 Peter. But in order to get to that chapter 3, where the, where the writer Peter talks about marriage, we had to talk about chapter two a little bit, all right? So here's what it says in chapter two. You remember this if you've been in the church. Chapter two of First Peter, starting with verse nine, Peter tells the believers, he says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. And we could talk about each one of those over a four-week period. Why are you this? Why are you a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession? What's a chosen race? What, what's so special about that? So that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. In other words, our lives should now be a testimony to the goodness of God, right? That's what praising God is. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people. In other words, there was a day when it didn't matter. You weren't representing anybody, but now you are representing God. Now you, uh, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so in these verses, Peter, what he's doing, he's setting up 
in chapter two, how the gospel, how the good news makes a difference in your life, whatever situation you're in. And so verses 11 and 12, he says, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. What does he mean by that? Well, have you ever heard the old song, uh, this world is not my home? I'm just a, pa- just a, you have to say just a on this song. I'm just a passing through. Have you heard that song? It's a great old gospel song. And, and, the, and the idea of that song is, is that this isn't, this isn't our home. I, I just heard, Candace, you, you're telling me that out there. We're not living for this world. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. We're foreigners and exiles. To abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul, live such good lives. Listen to this verse. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. In other words, they might say that, but they don't have a leg to stand on because you're living the kind of life you're living. And so it's, if the gospel, if it, we believe it, it's got to be making a difference in our life. Verse 20, we're going to jump down to verse 20. But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. Now, right here, he's talking to slaves. This is a first century condition. He's, he's talking to that relationship of a servant or a slave that has a master. And he says, if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. And listen to this. Now, this is where we're, this is the foundation for where we're going to get to. To this you were called. To what? To suffering? Perhaps. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. I don't know if you remember the WWJD thing. Everybody remember that? If, you, if, if you're my age, you, may, you might have grown up in that time period where the guy wrote a book down in Florida. I forget his name now, but anyway, he took, he took uh, that idea, WWJD, what would Jesus do from this passage following in his steps? I think that was the name of the book, in his steps. And that was the question he asked. So he took it right here. So Jesus left us an example that we should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. Obviously, we're past that. We're all sinners. We can't do that. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. We could do that. We could not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. We could do that. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Give yourself to God. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. That's a quote from Isaiah 53. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You see, what he does here, he says, look, the gospel ought to make a difference in your life, and here's how. It should make a difference. You, your life, my life, should start looking a little bit like the life of Jesus. Now, we can't, we can't be sinless like him, but we, could, we can follow in his steps in a lot of different ways. This is an amazing passage of Scripture. One theologian said that in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament theology, the sheep died for the shepherd. And when he was sacrificed in the temple. But in New Testament theology, in our theology, the shepherd died for the sheep. 
You know, in uh, Islam, for instance, if you if you uh, have ever studied that religion, they uh, they they believe this is all nonsense. That God, number one, wouldn't come to Earth because he wouldn't dirty himself with human flesh, and he definitely wouldn't sacrifice himself for the people. In their theology, it's their goal to sacrifice themselves to be received by Allah, by God, by their God. You see how that's kind of a workspace? You know, I, if I could die in a blaze of glory in an airplane or some kind of dramatic suicide mission, then God will accept me. But in Christianity, God accepts us, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. So when we get to marriage, when we get to marriage, we turn to chapter three, and I want you to notice something. He's still, he's with the idea of the suffering of Jesus in chapter two, he moves over into chapter three, and two times he uses a phrase. He says, in the same way. So in verses one and two, he says, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. That's a powerful testimony. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives. If you jump down to verse seven, he says to husbands, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you. Oh, talk about that in a minute. Uh, Ladies, don't get too uh, agitated yet. Uh, as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now, let's deal with this first. What does he mean when he says, in the same way, wives do this, husbands, in the same way, do that? He's referring back to chapter two. He's referring back to Jesus and how Jesus suffered. Now, I don't know, again, what your theology says, but Jesus is King Jesus, You've heard those songs. He's he's in charge. He's large and in charge. Jesus is God. That's what we believe. He's God. As God, Jesus can do and could have done anything he wanted to do. He, he, He could have, the old song says, I don't know why all these old songs are coming by mind. He could have called 10,000 angels while hanging on the cross, and they would have rescued him. He could have done anything. He said, though, not my will, but thine be done. So as God, he could have refused the cross. Did you know this? He could have. I don't know how it would have worked out. I don't know. I I don't want to run with the implications of that. But as God, he could have. But he was one with the Trinity. But he didn't, is the point. He suffered. And so... That's what Peter's saying here, wives, in the same way that Jesus suffered, you may have to suffer a little bit. Husbands, in the same way that Jesus suffered, you may have to suffer a little bit. Are there any husbands or wives who are suffering a little bit in your marriage? You can talk to me later, okay? You can talk to me later. I was talking to Russ about this sermon this morning. You know, we always talk. If I'm coming this way and he's going that way, we talk about it. And Russ said, man, Dave, I'm glad you had me preach in St. Albans today because Tanya's not with me, and I can say whatever I want to say. 
I don't know if, see, Tiny, she's not even in here. She won't hear that, but you can tell her. He said, I can say whatever I want to say. I said, Russ, you can tell a good marriage if when the husband comes into the living room, the wife hands over the remote control. Is that, am I wrong there? Am I off? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's wrong, but I, I've got a good woman, a uh, good wife, and she is here, and she may beat me up later, but uh, she, you know, she's, she's, uh, she, um, she suffers a lot of times when we, watch, uh, when we watch TV. She suffers, and I appreciate her for that. I appreciate her for that. And, uh, and so here's the one point. How does the gospel, how does the good news transform our lives? How does it do it? I need to put a clock up here. How does the good news transform our lives? One phrase, mutual submission. Now, you might have thought I was going to say, wives submit. And that's what the Bible says, but it also says mutual submission. You know, Peter talks about marriage, but Paul also talks about marriage. Oftentimes at a wedding ceremony, we'll share Ephesians chapter 5. And some husbands, for some reason, have committed this to memory, where it says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. I don't know why guys memorize that verse early on in their life. But they jump over verse 21 of Ephesians 5. that says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So there, make no mistake about it. Again, I believe that the husband is the spiritual leader of the home. But I want to tell you something. If the husband doesn't know how to submit to the wife and the wife doesn't know how to submit to the husband, there's going to be problems in the marriage. In other words, we don't always get our own way, do we? Sometimes we have to suffer. Is anybody suffering? Yeah, we all have to suffer at some, at some point. And so that's what he says here. He says, look, in the same way that Jesus could have had his own way, he could have, you know, that verse, that great passage we read that Karen led us in is a Philippians 2 passage that talks about he, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to, I think this version says, something to be used to his own advantage. Some versions say something to be held onto or something to be grasped. In other words, Jesus didn't say, nope, I'm not going down there. I'm not, those dirty humans, I'm not going down there. I'm not going to associate with them. Or while he, after he lived 33 years, he could have said, I'm not dying for these stupid people. They're sinners. They're, they're, they're living in muck and mire. Why would I die for them? He could have done that, but he didn't do that, did he? And so you and I in our marriage, in our relationships, sometimes we win and sometimes we lose. You hear what I'm saying? And sometimes we choose to lose. A marriage is give and take. Or maybe we should say it's give and give, give and give. Just out of curiosity, how many of you have been married for 30 years? My wife and I have been married for, have we been married for 30 years? Yeah, we're going on 32 years. How many of you have been married 30 years? Anybody been married 30 years already? All right. Got a lot of newlyweds in here. How about, uh, let's go down to 20. We got any 20s? 20, 
20, 20, okay, all right. You're getting there. Still newbies, still getting to know each other, right? 20 years. How about uh, 15 years? Can I catch anybody at 15? All right. How, how about uh, 10? Any, any 10? Gosh, Karen and Taylor, did y'all just meet or something? What's going on? Six years. All right. Let's hear it for the newlyweds back there. Six years. Anybody less than six years? Less than six years? All right. So, uh, man, you guys got a long row to hoe. But let me just give you some advice. Uh, marriage is give and give, give and give. Sometimes you give more, sometimes you give less. And, uh, you know, really, the, you know, it's like an old buddy of mine said, he said, you win a golf game. I don't know if you all play golf. You win a golf game on the first tee, the very first box. Because on the very first tee box is when you negotiate what you're going to give. So, like if I'm playing with Russ, y'all know Russ plays golf? Russ doesn't just play golf. Look, you can tell how much a preacher studies by how he plays golf. And I want to tell you, Russ is a good golfer. He needs to study more. That's why I tell him, Russ, you keep beating me like this. You're gonna, you need to study more. So, on the first tee box is when I negotiate with Russ. Russ, I need you to give me five strokes. And he'll complain and him holler around, and finally he'll give in. Y'all say, I'm not playing unless you give me five strokes or six, or if I can get 10. That means I'm already 10 ahead when we start. And so, likewise, in a marriage, if you, and most of you are already married, if you are getting ready to get married, the best advice you can give your children is you need to meet her mother. If her mother is a godly woman, if she is a woman that you can get along with, you can get along with her. Y'all agree with me? Any men out there? Huh? Okay, maybe not, maybe not, but I, I think what I'm speaking is truth. But you negotiate before the wedding day, and you find out, is this going to work? Don't be like the, the young lady who naively, uh, you know, was uh, thought, thought that she would alter him. I'll alter him. You know, walk down the aisle, stand at the altar, and there, there is him. And listen, you're not going to change him, and you're not going to change her for the most part after you're married. So you negotiate at the very beginning, and make sure you know that. And if it's give, give, submission, mutual submission, it's going to work. Submission doesn't mean surrender. It's acknowledgement of God's order in the family, and it, it's, it's, uh, it's an admission that God's plan works for the family. Now, I know this isn't a culturally good word today. I know a lot of women who say, I'm not submitting to him, because, you know, a lot, a lot of times that's all we focus on, but it's mutual submission. Uh, I, I uh, one time asked a couple, I said, do you want... Um, in your vows, do you want me to say uh, obey? You know, it used to be in the old timey vows, uh, the the it was love and obey, and uh, the the man said yes, and the woman said no, and it was emphatically no, and we had an issue right there at the beginning we had to deal with. Of course, he was he was joking, but uh, you know, it's not it's not surrender, it's not losing who you are, it's not giving up what you know, because we often. 
realize as men that we're not the smartest person in the relationship. And sometimes we do very dumb things. If I could get an amen on that, it'd really make me feel good. Yeah, from the men or the women. We do really stupid things. We're all fighting a battle. And we, we sometimes mess up. And so uh, that, that's not what submission is. It's not saying I'm always right or whatever I do is right. Sometimes it's saying, hey, I'm sorry. You know, the 12 words that'll save your marriage. You know what those are, guys, don't you? The 12 words that will save your marriage. You know what they are? You know what they are, Britt? I am sorry. I was wrong. Please forgive me. I love you. Your next altercation or fight with your spouse, men, use those 12 words. Don't say them all at once, you know, like get them all over with. If you'll spread them out over a few minutes, let her cool down. After you say, I'm sorry, then go back, I was wrong. Please forgive me. I love you. You know, if more couples would use those words, we'd have better relationships. When was the last time you told your spouse, I am sorry, I was wrong. Please forgive me. I love you. They need to be practiced. They need to be practiced. After six verses to the wives, you know, here we got this verse here in verses five and six. In this way, the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. You know, he's talking about women, where their strength comes from. They submitted themselves to their own husbands like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. I don't know how many men want their wives to call him Lord. They don't have any men in here want that, do they? That's a different time. But ladies, you are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. You know, Abraham, he really put a lot on Sarah. He said, one day we're packing up, we're leaving. She said, where are we going? He said, I don't know, but we're leaving. One time he told her, he said, hey, when you get over there, I want you to tell that Egyptian leader, I want you to tell him you're my sister and not my wife. You know, they were, she was his half-sister. But he wanted to lie, Abraham did, to save his own life so that the Egyptian leader didn't think he had to kill the husband. And so Abraham was, you know, he wasn't easy to live with. He had his issues, but Sarah was right by his side. And that is a, that's a wonderful thing. After six verses to the wives in this passage, he gives the husband one verse. That's about right, isn't it, men? Give the ladies six verses, give the men one. And the ladies said, yeah, that's right, because that's about all he can remember. One thing, just one thing. And so uh, this is how the gospel transforms our lives. And wives, if sometimes you feel like this is living this way as a Christian to submit, to let your husband take the lead in spiritual things, to, to support him and to be the, you know, you're not going to call him Lord, but you might call him your hero at certain times. You might, you might really adore him, admire him. You know, that's what men want. We want to be respected and admired. And, uh, and you might do that. But if that's suffering to you, just remember, that's what the gospel does. That's what the gospel does. And men, if you have to stop and quit running way ahead, and you have to remember, I've got a family to think about. I've got a wife to think about. I've got children if that's suffering to you to remember that you're, 
you're leading a caravan. You're making a legacy. You're, you're leaving something. You're doing something in the world. If that's suffering to you, then just remember that's what the gospel does. And that's why when the world looks at Christian marriages, they look different. So whatever your past looked like, put it behind you. God says, I'm doing a new thing in your life, and it can be beautiful. Start here today and make it to the finish line. Doesn't matter when you start. And, you know, in the big scheme of things, you should start now because you're going to waste time. But it does matter that you finish. It matters that you finish. So this is how the good news transforms our relationships. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, we thank you today for setting an example for us in our life, or in, our, in our marriage, in our relationships, in our business dealings. And Lord, we know you're not calling us to be uh, welcome mats or foot mats, or that is so that people can just step all over us, but you're calling us, God, to consider others more important than ourselves, like Jesus did, to sacrifice, to suffer, to let others shine, including our spouse and the people in our life. Lord, what a great legacy to leave. A legacy that, hey, she shined a light on others. He shined a light on others. And that's exactly what you do for us. God bless us with that mentality in our relationships, in our marriage, in our life to submit to one another as we submit to you. That's my prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand up and let's sing this final song of worship. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To find out more, visit us online at gatewaychurch.net. See you next week.